Youth work is a sacred opportunity to make a significant difference in the lives of children and youth. In the just released book, The Heartbeat of the Youth Development Field, Professional Journeys of Growth, Connection and Transformation, the authors use research and personal essays to shine a light on the intricate connections between research and practice, touching upon both the vulnerability and the triumph of youth development work. The passionate voices of youth workers in this volume lead to the inescapable conclusion that programs and policies for youth must be informed by these same voices and the values they express. Welcome to this first conversation on the heartbeat of the youth development field. My name is Georgia Hall from the National Institute on Out of School Time at the Wellesley Centers for Women at Wellesley College. The Heartbeat of the Youth Development Field is the latest volume in the series, Current Issues in Out of School Time, which is published by Information Age Publishing under the direction of series editor, Dr. Helen Malone at the Institute for Educational Leadership. My guests today are Maricela Montoya, who's the Chief Program Officer at Foundation Communities in Austin, Texas, and Courtney Andrada, who's the Senior Director of School-Based Programs at Girls Inc. of Alameda County in Oakland, California. Welcome, Maricela and Courtney. Through the work of leaders such as Maricela and Courtney, practitioners and researchers, we at NIOST have come to deeply and profoundly understand what it means to show up for children and youth. Their stories of trial and triumph have shaped our own work at NIOST. This book aims to lift up youth workers' stories and to help readers connect to these professional life experiences. One of the first questions we explore in this book focuses on how workers actually come into this field. Some pathways are very intentional and others haphazard. And all of them are rich with relationship, connection, inspiration, personal resilience, and giving back. More than many other fields, work in OST provides opportunity for self-discovery. In these essays, leaders and practitioners describe how they've learned who they really are through their relationships with youth and families, communities, and colleagues. Maricela Montoya expresses her joy at just mm -hmm. sitting and coloring with young people at the end of the day. And Maricela, I'm going to ask you to read the beginning of your essay. And as it talks about this first opportunity for you to become acquainted with the OST youth development field. Maricela. Thank you, Georgia. I took some smart advice from my mother when I was a freshman in college and looked for a part-time job. I needed something that fit in well with my class schedule, and I wanted something that did not feel like a heavy load so I could balance school and work as I pursued a major in psychology with the hope of becoming a counselor. My mom had suggested that I look for a job within the school district so I would have the opportunity to have holidays off when school was closed. I was not looking for a job in education or working with children, but her advice made sense. I found a job listing with a local community education program for a building monitor. The assigned administrative duties, however, did not always keep me busy, so I often found myself wandering into the cafeteria where the after school program was happening. I would help students with homework and often assist them with arts and crafts or play board games if I had the time. I discovered that I really enjoyed working with youth without knowing it. 
I had started on a path toward my life's work. Although working with youth had not been my original plan, it quickly became something that I was passionate about. I have heard that finding your career sweet spot is when you find the place where your strengths, passions, and values overlap. Several years ago, around the time I first began working in the OST field, I read Max Licato's book, Cure for the Common Life, Living in Your Sweet Spot. He talks about the sweet spot that professional tennis players, golfers, and baseball players reference. Licato suggests that the sweet spot is a zone, a region, a life precinct in which you were made to dwell. He goes on to say that life makes sense when you find your sweet spot. And that is exactly how I feel about the work I do in the OST field. Thank you, Maricela. So you have this experience, this early experience where you just happen to sort of walk in um, and uh, you know, the, and, and I should say that the essay title um, for this um, essay from Maricela is Sweet Spot. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you, so yours is one of the sort of haphazard uh, step-ins to this field of out-of-school time and youth development. In your essay, you talk about later of this experience, so, so, so later in, in your uh, starting career, and you have this interaction with a supervisor that in some ways sort of shifts some of the understandings that you have about working in the OST field. Tell us a little bit about that experience with that supervisor. Sure. Um, I had the opportunity to attend a national after-school conference with a supervisor several years ago. And, you know, we, we'd been there for a couple of days, and that last day, I was ready to just kick back and relax, and she had different plans. <laughs> she said, uh, you know, after dinner, let's meet up, and I was like, okay, why? <laughs> uh, she said, well, we, you know, we have, we have lots of planning to do. We've learned a lot here. We, you know, we have a lot of opportunity to kind of plan out professional development training opportunities for the rest of the school year, and we, you know, we have a lot to accomplish, and, and I thought, wow, I just, you know, I just wanted to watch TV or relax, but, um, you know, it really inspired me, that interaction that I had with her, and we worked for several hours after dinner. Um, you know, I think I learned from that that leadership, you know, never stops, um, and I think the other thing I learned from that is that, you know, even though um, I was the only one attending the conference from the school I was with. I had the opportunity to learn and then train and teach um, other people on my team what I learned. Um, and that was also helpful for me. I started kind of replicating that years later with my own teams. You know, I might send two or three people to a conference, but I told them, you know, when you come back, we're, we're going to want you to present and share your information um, that you learned. Um, and, you know, often conferences like that are a time to kind of re-energize and reinvigorate yourself and learn new things. So uh, people often came back kind of on fire again. And um, it just really taught me that, you know, it's just a never ending <laughs> cycle of, of learning, taking in, no matter how far I got in my field, I've, I've been in this work for like 30 years now, um, you know, that there's always something new to learn and always something new to share with other people after you learn. So Maricela, tell us exactly your position right now in OST Youth Development, and um, and and then I, I just want to ask you a little bit about how this has this um, these experiences have continued to sort of play out in your work. 
Yeah, sure. So um, I'm currently the Chief Program Officer at Foundation Communities. Um, I was formerly the Director of Education for several years, so I've recently kind of transitioned into a new role, but I still oversee our education and out-of-school time programs here. Um, yeah, and it's just some, that was actually kind of something that I was a little uh, it was hard to let go of in this promotion just because I was so, you know, accustomed to doing that work and I love that work so much, but I'm glad I get to uh, play a broader role um, now. Um, yes, and I, I just think that um, the work that we do, so I work for an organization that is a nonprofit affordable housing, so our primary work is in providing housing stability for families with, with a ton of wraparound services, so education, health, financial wellness, all those programs are part of what we do, um, and, and really just the work in out-of-school time is just really invaluable. Um, it really helps to bridge a gap for a lot of our students who may have working families or may uh, come from families who speak a different language at home. Uh, the out of school time programs are really beneficial for kids who, you know, need a place to go after school and be safe, but, you know, also get enriching experiences, get help with academics, um, get mentorship from people who are, who look like them, who maybe speak their language or came from communities that are similar to theirs. Um, so it's just, I just stumbled into it. Uh, yeah, was, this is I, this is an amazing I, trajectory that yeah. you have been on coming out of that that first experience based on your mother's advice. She's going to love to hear that too. I told her I gave a shout out to her and she was really <laughs> pleased. Uh, but really it was just advice. Like it was just a part-time job I was looking for in, in the afternoon. I had no idea what a building monitor was. I would unlock the doors for violin instructors or, you know, take tuition for childcare and um, but I just really started really enjoying the work and the interaction with the students. It was really something that was, you know, just a very rewarding experience and something that I've continued to feel, feel rewarded doing. And speaking to that, you obviously you have this long experience now in out of school time youth development field. And I want to ask you just to share the last part of your essay, Sweet Spot, also, which uh, which is because of the fact that you have you you came to the field um, unexpectedly and and you stayed, and um, sort of now um, some of the things that have have happened as you've had this longevity in the field, and ask you to just please, please share that last part of your essay too, Sweet Spot. From time to time, I run into former students with whom I have worked. I don't know why I'm surprised that they are all grown up. Somehow I still picture them as the little third graders I had in my after school program a long time ago. Many of them now have careers and families of their own, but even though they are all grown up, they usually still refer to me as Miss Maricela. I am humbled that when they hit significant milestones in their lives, they still wanna share them with Miss Maricela, including invitations to their high school or college graduations, weddings, or the birth of children. These moments show me that the after-school program meant something to them. My career in the OST field was not what I had planned for my life, whether it found me or I found it, but I can surely say that I'm happy and proud of it. I am fortunate that I found my sweet spot. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Maricela. Thank you.
And I want to turn to Courtney now, who, similar to Maricela, I think it was an unexpected beginning in work in the out-of-school time youth development field. And, and Courtney, I, I wanted to ask you, your, your essay is titled Investing in Communities of Color. And I want to ask you to, to share the beginning of your essay also with us. Great. Thank you, Georgia. And Maricela, it's great to hear your story. And there's so many parallels. My first work experience with youth was in college, working in a migrant farm worker community, advising youth who would be first-generation college students. While I was doing that, I saw that the local high school was hiring for a part-time track coach, and since I had run track in college, I applied for the position. The school community was starkly different from the farm worker community, and I felt conflicted but wasn't able to put words or identify exactly what I was feeling. That was my first experience working in a community that didn't feel familiar. I finished the season and supported my students, but could not fully explain why I didn't feel as invested in that work as I did when I was in my advisor position. So Courtney, you have these sort of two beginning experiences that are similar in terms of they're both working with youth um, and in out of school sort of experiences, et cetera, and yet they feel so starkly different um, to you. And, um, and I know that you write later on about having this really significant sort of fellowship experience that maybe that is what helps then put all those things together for you or make those connections, it sounds like a little bit. I wonder if you could first sort of tell us about your, your work now in OST and then, then tell us about what that fellowship experience that you had that you write about in the essay too. So currently, as the Senior Director of School-Based Programs, I oversee all of our city, state, and federally funded programs that are based in the schools in Oakland, California, specifically. Um, and so I run programs that are K to 12 in after school that are both gender-specific and gender-responsive programming. Um, and so the fellowship, I was... I would say middle management, <laughs> um, and that's being generous to myself in the work I was doing at the time when I started the fellowship. Um, and it was for emerging leaders of color. So I applied, I didn't know what a fellowship was at that point, um, but I knew it was an opportunity for me to grow in my leadership and, or what I thought at that time was leadership. And this experience, so greatly impacted who I was. Um, it was definitely practice changing for how I led, how I supervised, how I supported staff, and even how I ran my programs. Um, we went through a year-long fellowship that focused on things like, you know, budgeting and managing change, coaching and supervising staff, um, topics that leaders, supervisors need to know. And then there was a time where we focused on authentic leadership. And that was the practice changing experience for me and knowing the difference between dominant leadership and authentic leadership and really supporting people of color in systems that were not made for them. And that was where my, my thoughts and my approach and my work shifted because I had navigated so long in that dominant leadership space without knowing because that's how you learn to navigate systems. And that's what I had to do to get to college. That's what I had to do to you know, get a promotion or get the next position. And so to see that there was another way that didn't hurt people, that didn't impact people, that didn't make other people feel less than so I could do more, um, which was so 
was practice changing. So you had this you had this fellowship experience building on some years that you had already invested in doing out of school, um, after school, et cetera, kind of work. And so it was it really uh, a light bulb sort of went on in, in terms of knowing a different approach and knowing a different way. Um, and you, you talk about really supporting um, the community around you and how to best support other professionals, et cetera. And I, I, I wonder, so what sort of approach do you take? Because we're talking about what, it, what professional development really should be for people um, working in this field. And how, how did that fellowship experience um, change the approach that you have in the ways that you support the professionals that you work with? Yeah, and I, I like that you said a light bulb came on. I think it's almost the sun came out. Like it was such a big shift in my work. Right. Um, and I think the biggest thing, so being raised with three sisters by a single mom and then, you know, working for a feminist organization, sisterhood and, um, and seeing women grow and develop and be successful was always important to me. But to be in this year-long cohort with 14 women of color magnified that and intensified that. And I realized how I had been navigating the system previously was I'm going to make sure the people I'm supporting and supervising live up to this expectation and learn how to navigate this system that was not made for them. And after this fellowship, my perspective shifted to I'm going to change the system so that people of color and women of color can be successful um, and they don't have to change who they are. They don't have to transform and conform, but they can navigate the system because it's, it's created in a way and shaped and designed in a way for them to be successful. This is such a, it's such an important and valuable approach and um, just critical to the preparation and the best ways to support um, communities and, and professionals working in the field. I wondered, Courtney, if you would share the last part of your essay, which sort of brings together um, this idea of, and, and your personal investment and your personal desire to support the community around you, et cetera. Coming into OST as a college advisor when I was younger, I thought I would do this job for one year before I went to graduate school, but it turned out that it was the beginning of the building of the foundation of my career as a youth development professional. I have become totally committed to serving historically marginalized, low-income communities of color and providing growth opportunities for the adults in the field, specifically those who reflect the community that I both came from and serve. I'm not sure how much I believe in fate, but I do know that youth work and more specifically OST is the field that made the most sense for me and what I have to offer the world. Thank you, Maricela and Courtney for sharing your essays, your stories and your voices. The book, The Heartbeat of the Youth Development Field is now available. You can access information on it at our website at www.niost.org. I thank you for joining us for this discussion today, and I hope you'll be able to join some of our future podcasts that we'll be doing on the additional chapters and essays in the book. I'm Georgia Hall at the National Institute of Out of School Time, and I wish you well.